Hello, my name is David Martinez, and today we're going to talk about how to get off the beaten path when you travel abroad. And why to get off the beaten path when you travel abroad. I was in Paris this uh, recently with my family and my daughter, who's 11 years old, for some reason got it in her head that she needed to see Paris, that she needed to go to France. I don't know where she got this idea, how she got the idea, but she had posters of, you know, pictures of the Eiffel Tower in her room. And so we worked it out to where our trip to Spain, we could, we had a layover in Paris and we had a couple days there, uh, but we're jet lagged and we're tired and we get to Paris and I wasn't extremely excited about this. I've been to Paris before. I've done the Eiffel Tower. It's not something that, you know, I'm dying to do. But in the process or in this, in this venture to get to the Eiffel Tower, nobody wanted to be there. My kids were all uh, super tired. They're jet lagged. They just wanted to go back to the hotel. My wife also was like, well, what if we... And I kept saying, no, we're going to go do this. Where I, I dragged them put them in line because in the line to get to, the, to go up to the Eiffel Tower, if you're not in line, they won't give you a ticket. Like you can't just be one person buying tickets for everybody else. So they're all like, you know, hanging off the rails and stuff, just like really tired. But I dragged them up to the Eiffel Tower to the very top. We got the pictures and I did it all because this is the beaten path of traveling in, I want to say Europe, but let's be a little bit more specific and say, you know, Paris, right? And I never want to go back. I never want to do this again. So what's funny, though, is that, you know, as miserable as my kids were, uh, they came back and now they tell stories about how, yes, I've been to the top of the Eiffel Tower and I get angry now. And I say, you can tell that story, but you need to add at the end of that story, you need to say thanks to Papa. And so now they do that. They say, we've been to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Thanks to Papa. <laughs> but that that get that got me thinking about the way I used to travel, my, you know, the joys that I got out of traveling. And I always tried to seek out the, you know, the off the beaten path, right? Uh, there are certain things that you want to see, um, monuments and so forth. But I, I in, in all of my travels, the, the biggest joys always came off the beaten path. Is that, do you have a similar experience? Absolutely. Uh, and I think sometimes we overthink the idea of beaten path versus off the beaten path. There's actually tour companies that say, oh, we'll take you where no tourists are. And it's like, you're a tourist company. So aren't you <laughs> technically bringing tourists where there's no tourists are? Yeah. So this is part of a conversation that's a very old part of the travel conversation, the beaten path versus the non-beaten path. And I think the beaten path is beaten for a reason. It's because there are these amazing places like the Eiffel Tower. And Years ago, I wrote a book called Souvenir, and I researched um, in Paris, the, sort of the souvenir industry and its manifestations there. And I was in the same neighborhood where I taught at the time in the fifth arrondissement. It's miles, like to walk to the Eiffel Tower from that part of the fifth arrondissement is more than an hour. And I go in the souvenir shop and like half the things for sale are Eiffel Tower things. It's, it was in, um, what was the uh, street? It's Room of Todd. It's a famous place. Hemingway lived near there. Orwell lived near there. All these interesting aspects of Parisian history happened there that had nothing to do with the Eiffel Tower. And so I asked the owner of the store, why do you sell so many Eiffel Towers? And she's like, it's what people want to buy. You know, I would, I would sell Hemingway stuff or Orwell stuff or historical stuff pertinent to this neighborhood if people bought it, but people <laughs> want to buy a souvenir of the Eiffel Tower. And so I think 
travel works in this world of shorthand where you might have a super interesting experience off the beaten path in this, you know, Senegalese fusion restaurant in the 20th arrondissement. But at the end of the day, that picture of you in front of the Eiffel Tower certifies that you were there. Yeah. And it, this is an interesting, geographically interesting place to talk about because I've been going there for years. Uh, last year, I went there with my wife for the first time. And even though she's familiar with cities like Berlin and, and London, she was less traveled in Paris and she can appreciate getting off the beaten path, but she really wanted to go to see the Eiffel Tower. And actually, I've come to enjoy, if not necessarily going to the top of the Eiffel Tower, hanging out at the Champ du Mont uh, at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower, which is this big green space, this big park, just because so many of the people who go there are so excited to be there. And there's cooler neighborhoods, there's better food. Um, you know, the people who are selling champagne or cheese along that place are not selling good champagne or cheese. But it's just so exciting to be around people who are thrilled to be at the Eiffel Tower, be it the 80-year-old woman who's flying in from China and her life has changed so much, or the, the teenager from Iowa who's there on his study abroad trip and is just excited to be there. And so I think it's good to seek things off the beaten path, but not be too snobby about the beaten path itself because again, <laughs> yes. it, it's beaten for a reason and, and there's a reason why your kids uh, have a fond memory of that place. Yeah, I don't know why they wanted to go in the first place. I don't know where this came from, but it's interesting. It's it's fun to get the backstory because we were there about a month apart from each other, I think, right? And you have this great picture. You were dancing with your wife, right? At, at the Eiffel Tower in the background or in that area? Or? Well, we were dancing on the Seine. We okay. weren't, there was no landmark um, there, but it was a very classic thing, dancing on the, <laughs> the banks of the Seine. We weren't reinventing the wheel. We weren't the first person people to do that, but it was such a beautiful moment to certify dance. It's the tango, which is technically an Argentine dance, but the way they do it in Paris is very specific. And so it was the beautiful picture that of course you're gonna throw that one up on Instagram because it was a great moment and it's a great picture. Um, and, and similar when my, when my wife and I are looking through old pictures of, of Paris, the Eiffel Tower ones are remembered fondly because that was a cool moment, even though we're salty travelers and we didn't need to go there, but it was cool to go there just the same. So yeah, in my case, it's, it's a good memory because we look happy because we, you know, if you smile for the picture, I'll get you this crepe or, you know, or get you some ice cream on the way home. Or a lot of our pictures are like that, you know, <laughs> smile right. and we'll buy you ice cream. And, and so you see us happy in this picture, but they were miserable <laughs> in, in, in that day. But, you know, I think about a lot of the trips are sometimes motivated by some landmark or something that you really want to see. And I think that's fine. I think, you know, like you said, the, the beaten path is beaten for a reason. One of the, one example that I often give is Halong Bay, Northern Vietnam, outside Hanoi. And it's, it's swarming with tourists. I mean, just tons and tons of tourists, but there's a reason for that. You take this boat and you go out into these cliffs that are just it's majestic and beautiful and you spend the night out there. You can spend two nights depending on how much time you have. And it's one of the most incredible things I've ever done or, ex or experienced. But to get there, you had to, I mean, it was like, it was like a, a Black Friday kind of feeling where you're like crowded and you're kind of moving through and you have different stickers depending on what you paid and what tour group you're with. And you kind of have to like be pushed through basically until you get onto this boat, which is itself not super crowded, but it, you're not, you know, you're not on a, a two person cruise, you know, you're like, there are a lot of people in this, on this boat, but it's so worth it. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're right. The, the beaten path is, is beaten for a reason. Don't be too snobby about it. Uh, but at the same time, recognize that 
things are going to happen on the way to these landmarks. Things are going to happen uh, on the way from the landmark that are going to be much more uh, memorable, I think. Well, I think we have this phrase, bucket list. Yes. Which until I researched my most recent book, it doesn't really go back much further than the 2007 movie of the same name. Now we, we all use it. It feels like it's been around forever, but actually that Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman movie was the, it ushered that phrase into really? common parlance. Yeah. Wow, I did not yeah. know that. Huh. But it's this idea that there's a list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket. And, and actually there's a travel aspect to that movie. But oftentimes we have our bucket list things. We want to go to Halong Bay. We want to see the Eiffel Tower. We want to the, see the Great Pyramids of Giza. We want to see Machu Picchu, which is a place that I went to and it was amazing, even though it was full of tourists. But what we don't know is that th th those are like the celebrity um, aspect of geography. You know, there's certain celebrities, people that everybody knows, and there are certain places that everybody knows. But at the end of the day, you know, do you really want to hang out with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Actually, he'd probably be fun to hang out with. But at the end of the day, there's there's there, there's so much virtue that goes beyond the notoriety of a place or a person. Uh, and yeah, why why are we so obsessed about celebrities? Well, in travel, they, they sort of give a, a framework to our travels. If we go to this, this, and this place on our bucket list, when we go back home or even on our deathbed, we probably won't think about the actual Eiffel Tower or the actual Great Pyramids of Giza or Machu Picchu. It's going to be about that cool little back alley restaurant we ate in Cusco, or it's going to be wandering around semi-lost to the markets of uh, Cairo. You know, that that it, I think the great thing about the bucket list is that you can throw it out or you can check it off and put your pictures on Instagram. But what you keep for yourself, those quieter memories are what happened between point A and point B. Yeah. Um, but you get you to keep those with you. Yeah, I remember I, I did a trip through Europe. It was about a two-month trip and it was very much vagabonding. We were sleeping on the street and under bridges and so forth. And our big thing, my buddy and I, was arrive at the city, what's the monument, go touch it, and then we're done. You know, that's kind of like okay. we're saying, like, like, check it off, you know. Mm -hmm. So we'd go. Uh, I don't know if you could touch the Tower of Pisa, but I remember we went there and everybody's taking the picture with the, you know, mm -hmm. holding it up, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we, I don't think we, because they have it kind of roped off, you know, for obvious reasons, right? <laughs> if enough people touch it, it might actually fall over. Um, but that's what we would do. We travel to these different cities. We, I remember it ended up in Paris, same thing. We touched the Eiffel Tower and then, and then you could move on. And, and the stories I tell uh, from that trip have nothing to do with these landmarks, as you're saying. And, and I encourage students also, but you're right in that, uh, that bucket list, these, these places you want to visit, uh, get you off the couch and get you you know, in those spaces where you can have these meaningful experiences. You bring up the, the pyramids of, of Giza. We were, my wife and I went there on our third year anniversary. It was kind of like classic, right? Three pyramids, mm -hmm. even though there's more than that, but that's fine. Right. Three big ones, right? right. Uh, and we took a picture with the three and it's our third year anniversary. For a while, we were trying to keep up with our second year was in Burma and fourth was in Madrid with the four towers. And then we started having kids and, and right. <laughs> those plans changed. But in, in to the pyramids, I... I liked that experience, even though it was, there were a lot, there were a number of tourists, you could, you could get, um, ride camels and come in from the back end. Mm -hmm. And it kind of felt like you were in the middle of nowhere in the, in the, in the desert arriving at the pyramids. And that's, that's another experience. Machu Picchu, another one, I did the Inca trail mm -hmm. and it's another one that's again, swarming with tourists, but so worth it. Uh, wouldn't you say Machu Picchu? Yes or no? Oh yeah, well okay, actually, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even do the Inca Trail. I just did the normal train okay. to the Aguas Calientes and then hiked up. Um, but I, actually, when you're talking about that, I was just thinking about we sort of stage 
experiences for ourselves. It's cool, even though we're not really riding our camel from the <laughs> the Sahara it into the like pyramids. It. it feels good. And one thing I talked about in my souvenir book was the idea of authenticity. And oftentimes, the authenticity we seek is not necessarily the authenticity in the culture we're in, but we want a feeling of authenticity in ourselves. Yes. Right. So taking three days to hike to Machu Picchu feels more authentic, not because it gets us there any differently than the train, but because we feel like we've earned it somehow. Yep. And so I think we, we we sort of play games with our days as travelers, which is fun sometimes, like the idea of going around and touching the monuments. When, when I was in Cairo, I had stayed in this hostel with these happy-go-lucky travelers, and they decided they were going to, they were going to split $20 so that each person had like $5 and they were going to try to buy as much as possible with $5 in the, in the Khanel Khalili market. And which it sounds absurd, but, but they had a dynamic with that market that was off the beaten path. Cause basically they're like, what do you have for sale? Do you have something, anything that's broken, anything you have, aren't able to sell. <laughs> and so basically they got to know these vendors in this charming way. They're like, yeah, here's this giant thing that broke a long time ago. And sure, you can have it for a buck. I, I mean, it beats throwing it away. And so I think the idea of that personal authenticity, playing games with your day, as long as you're culturally respectful, I think right. it's interesting. To, like, why not just touch the monument? Why not take five bucks and see how much volume you can get in the, in the souvenir market? Why, why not take a camel to the pyramids, even though it's not really that, uh, air quotes, authentic? It, may, it feels better. And so yeah. I think... One thing as travelers we do is we try on different identities. We get to away from home, we get to try out different versions of ourselves, uh, And sometimes that that ties into this experience, again, of being off the beaten path. It basically, we're getting out of our habitual lives back home. So why not get out of the habits that other travelers are in and follow the smell of a great patisserie instead of going to the Eiffel Tower straight away? You know, there's, there's so many ways to get off the beaten path and it's really not that hard and it's a big thrill to do. I don't know. This is uh, re relates to it, but I, when I when we were at the the Great Pyramids of Giza, they I was offered the opportunity to climb one of them. Mm. I was kind of half joking with with a guide and said, "Hey, can I can I run to the top?" And he's like, "Give me twenty bucks and and you can go to the top." You know, <laughs> right, and it's like right. that's the the version of of touching it, I suppose. And I didn't do it because it felt a little bit disrespectful. It felt like maybe I was gonna in some way add to the erosion that would later I don't know. So I didn't. I was trying to be ethical, you know, but there's a part of me that kind of regrets it, my opportunity to climb to the top of the, of the pyramid. But that brings, you know, you're, as you were talking, I was thinking about par part of the appeal of the off the beaten path is to be different. You know, I want to, you know, and, and so there's some, on some level, I'm doing the same thing that everybody else has done, but mine needs to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, not everybody does the Inca trail, although it's 500 people a day. So a lot of people do, uh, but the vast majority do take the the bus to Aguascalientes and then, you know, hike up or, or even take a bus up because you can take all the way to the entrance. But that reminded me of, you know, I mentioned Vietnam earlier. One of uh, the, the most exciting or happiest experiences abroad, I would say, it was we were, my wife and I were traveling up the coast of Vietnam and we kind of, we bought this, we thought it was a good idea. We bought this bus pass where every day the bus there were several buses that kind of go from city to city and you could kind of hop on and hop off whenever you wanted. It, it would come by four or five times a day and you kind of looked at the schedule and said, okay, it's going to come by at 10 or at two or at four. And you kind of make plans that way. Uh, but after the first couple cities, it kind of felt, uh, you know, or the expression we used, we kind of felt like cattle a little bit. Like you drop, you know, you stop at these cities and it was this, you know, people kind of ushering you to their hotel, but then taking you to the same kind of places. 
and we were looking for something a little bit more authentic, which I know is very problematic. And, you know, we're, we're tourists trying not to be tourists, I suppose. Uh, that distinction between tourist and traveler, which I also hate. I know you've written about it. There's mm -hmm. no difference between a tourist and a traveler. You're all just, you know, trying to have an experience abroad. But one of the cities, and I forget the name of the city, but we were we were walking around, my wife and I, and this guy comes out of the shop and he's like, hey, do you want to ride motorcycles on the Ho Chi Minh Trail? And right away I said, yes, yes. I would very much like to ride motorcycles on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And so he took us back to the, to the room where we're talking about it. And he's like, okay, you can have a, a driver or you can have your own motorcycle. And immediately I said, again, I just don't think sometimes, but the thought of like hugging a Vietnamese dude for four days, I was like, no, no, give me my own motorcycle, you know? And so I said, no, my own motorcycle. And he's like, okay, well, I need to come. I need you to show me that you know how to ride a motorcycle. Well, I'd never ridden a motorcycle in my life. I had no idea how to even start it. Uh, so as we're walking back to the motorcycle, I was trying to rack my brain. My cousins had motorcycles, remember it, you know, trying to like a matrix moment, you know, like I know how to ride motorcycle all, all of a sudden. So I sit on the motorcycle. I don't know how to even start it, start the engine. And I, I said something that I regret, but in the moment I was trying to, you know, get out of the situation. And I said, well, I don't know how the motorcycles are here in Vietnam because the motorcycles are in Europe. And he got mad at me and he's like, this is a Yamaha. It's the same here as it is in Europe. And, uh, you know, so it was a good, a good lesson for me, but again, trying to get out of a situation. Anyway, it turned out, you know, I ended up on the motorcycle. He took me around and I didn't crash or anything. He knew, of course, he knew that I'd never ridden before, but he let me have my own motorcycle for four days. We, my wife and I, my wife did have a driver. We rode motorcycles and it was, it was off the beaten path. But as you said, like this guy was looking for the right kind of tourist. So it was, I call it, you know, off the beaten path ish, <laughs> you know, yeah. because we weren't on the same bus but to have this experience kind of separated and, you know, you end up in these villages that, you know, tourists often don't go to, which is an interesting tension as well. You know, you're, you're looking for an authentic experience, but there's also, you talk a lot about, you've written about staged authenticity, mm. you know, and, and I think we have to be careful with that as well. But I, I loved that, that experience. And that all happened because of a, a willingness to kind of step off what is a little bit more you know, safe for sure. There were a few moments where, you know, my life was in danger, you know, and, uh, but in retrospect, of course, you know, lots and lots of fun. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a, a guest host dynamic there too, because it was certainly off the beaten path. It was different from what the bus tour people were going, but the guy, like part of his sales pitch was the Ho Chi Minh trail. Right. He didn't say, let's just go, let's go ride from village to village on a muddy road. No, he said the Ho Chi Minh trail. So I think that's something as an American, you, you sort of know what that is. Yep. And, um, and you can yeah. talk about it later. Yeah. I rode motorcycles on the Ho Chi Minh trail. Well, it's, it's a great story. Again, uh, the, the imaginative act of travel, like, um, another phrase that anthropologists use is the tourist imaginary yeah. that they like, you think about the story you're going to tell your, yourself, be it hiking into Machu Picchu or riding a camel into the pyramids or motorcycling on, on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It's a better story. You know, it's a better part of the, the, the tourist imaginary. And I think the tourist imaginary is fine as long as you're, um, you are respecting the culture. One interesting thing about that is that a part of me thought, well, you could probably just rent a motorcycle and find your own Ho Chi Minh Trail. But <laughs> I think that these guys were smart, that they realized that that makes a better story. It takes a, a certain kind of tourist. Not everybody's going to do it. But then they make a living that way, that, that in a way you could be the dirtbag who's only paying as exactly as much as the Vietnamese people on your own rental motorcycle. But 
he was able to create a cool adventure for you and your wife in such a way that without breaking your bank, you know, he was able to make some good money and feed his family. And so that dynamic um, is interesting. And one, one, benefit of getting off the beaten path is that you're spreading that tourist wealth a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're, you may be 20 blocks from the Eiffel Tower, but you're, you're eating at the, the neighborhood restaurant and you are giving money, giving your tourist dollars with no middlemen involved. Um, yeah. And so that's another fun thing to remember on the, the beaten path. But oftentimes you're actually spending less money. It costs a lot less to get a cappuccino away from tourist attractions rather than next to them. Um, and then, and then you're actually, um, it's a cheaper cappuccino, but maybe it's still more than your average Italian person will pay for the cappuccino. And so you're feeding in, your, your truest dollars are finding uh, good places that make it more economically dynamic uh, as yeah. a traveler. And make a better story. Yeah. Presumably, right? Depending on how sick you are afterwards, I suppose, or right, you know, right. depending what happens. Now that reminds me, in Brazil, uh, um, I was on a bus. It was a 33-hour bus ride, right? Oh, Somebody stopping at different times. Uh, but one of the stops, and we kind of re- realized that the bus stops, you were paying $10, $15 for these meals. But if you just left the bus stop and literally like across the street, you could get a meal for like a dollar or $2. Yeah. And so that that tiny little adjustment, um, yeah, I don't know how how good of a story it is, but it certainly saved saved some cash in the, in the long run. So, what, as you were talking, I was I um, was reminded, or you know, your your stories, you often talk about, uh, well, because you're a travel writer, right? So when you travel, you're looking for a certain experience to then write about it. Uh, does that influence the kind of experience you look for? Uh, and do you seek out these off the beaten path experiences? Because as, as you've said before, uh, trips that go wrong make for far better stories. And you're, you have a high likelihood, a higher likelihood of the story of the, of the trip going wrong if you're off the beaten path, right? Yeah. Well, I think narrative, a narrative needs a conflict. It needs an imbalance that needs to be balanced. And if you're always sort of if you're on the tourist trail, which again is a tourist trail for a reason, the odds of the unexpected happening, the odds of surprise happening are less. So in addition to saving money and, and putting money more directly into local economies, you're also putting yourself in a position that is more likely to lend itself to a story. Um, and so I think this has taken different uh, expression at different times in my life. I was much more devil may care, happy go lucky when I was a younger traveler. <laughs> um, as you, you've read Marco Polo didn't go there, I tried to rented by a donkey once and they told me that yeah no you're not we're gonna sell you a donkey just go be your own donkey be your own donkey is what they told you yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> just walk in the desert by yourself and so there are ways I, I i mean this uh this or last summer after paris my wife and i went to the faroe islands and part of the fun was of that was just sort of picking a village that we didn't know anything about and driving there and seeing what was there when we got there. Hmm. Uh, and we found such amazing villages. I'm, I'm, I'm loath to mention them now for hope that they don't become <laughs> tourist attractions themselves because they're just these delightful little villages where 12 people live, but have their own stories and the, their own beauty. And um, even if it doesn't directly lend itself to a story, it's something that you can internalize and savor in a way that I guess you, you come into sort of this, this uh, consumer experience with a place, which is like the best that can happen is that your expectations are met. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you come in when, with vaguer expectations, then it's not just a matter of meeting those expectations, it's about 
well, what the heck is going to happen here? What yeah. is going to be in this village that we know nothing about? And then instead of trying to meet what you think you'll find when you get there, you just show up and you, you're surprised. And so that sort of delineated our experience of the Faroe Islands earlier this year. We went to some places we were supposed to go, but other places we just drove in and walked around and those were a lot of fun too. Yeah. I always say the secret to a happy life is to have low expectations in general, <laughs> but specifically with traveling, right? When you, if you, cause you're right, if you have these expectations uh, and we often do, we often go, you know, why did I, why did I rent a camel uh, to go to see the, the pyramids? Well, it's because that's the kind of experience that is prescribed before you, before you go. But you had, you had a lot of uh, experiences off the beaten path. There was, you, did you buy a boat and like sail up the Mekong River? Yes, I, I drove down the Mekong River. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that's off the beaten path. That's not the tourist trail. Totally off the beaten path. And I was there with some other Americans. We were just trying to do something different. Uh, I think we knew it was possible. So we, we bought a boat and we drove it like 900 miles down the Mekong. It's one of these crazy adventures and rivers can be dangerous. So I probably wouldn't do it again just because the Americans I, I did it with had some experience, but you would power through the rapids and avoid the whirlpools and Gosh, what, how amazing was that, that every day was new? We didn't really know where we were, but we were going downriver on the Mekong through Laos, sometimes the, the Lao-Thai uh, border. And my gosh, that was fun. And just like, just sort of the feeling of being alive and sometimes uncertainty and, and really being vulnerable is a way to really taste your aliveness. And gosh, that was three weeks of feeling super alive and slightly ter terrified. <laughs> um, but that's, again, travel is a metaphor for a lot of things. You're, you're literally out of your comfort zone at home. And so you are tempted to surround yourself with familiarities or with expectations where you, I think one problem with expectations is that we sort of, we subscribe to the societally prescribed uh, expectations of how we should be instead of seeking, well, what do I like? What will make yeah. me happy? What will surprise me and make this day interesting? And so, I mean, that's why we're, the United States is a country of less than happy billionaires, which would strike most people in the world as absurd, right. you know? Uh, and so I think just sort of peeling away all of the unnecessary things to the, organic experience of a day, whether or not it involves uh, riding in on a camel, um, that's part of the fun of travel is that you can try something different and um, maybe make the occasional gentle mistake and uh, and try to be safe about it. But just, um, yeah, uh, be surprised and pay attention. Those are very simple edicts, but they're good to keep in mind. Yeah, and try things. You also walked across Israel. That mm -hmm. was another yeah. kind of off the beaten path. I don't know how many tourists decide they're going to walk. I mean, that requires a lot of time as well, but that's, that's also leaves you open to different experiences every day. What's going to happen, right? Yeah. Danger. And then, and then the pace, you can't walk very fast, you know? So mm -hmm. the pace at which you experience a country walking, as opposed to riding in a bus or a train or a taxi or something, it forces you to slow down and, and pay attention and, and listen and to deal with minor discomforts in a way that really pays off in, in nice rewards. And when I, like I, I didn't have a guidebook, but it's like, I'm going to walk from Capernaum to Jerusalem, you know, in, in, in the footsteps of a, of a certain famous, certain prophet who lived in this part of the world 2000 years ago. And so I didn't actually make it. It was so hot that I ended up hitchhiking. I didn't properly walk to Jerusalem. Um, uh, but that as a constraint, that as the design, instead of a bucket list thing, I'm, I'm going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and see what happens. And, um, all kinds of amazing things happen. I talked to people I never would have talked to otherwise. I 
slept in fields and forests and I met farmers and merchants and, and um, had a great time. I, I even hitchhiked, it's the only part in the world, a couple of cute Israeli girls. I was in my 20s at the time, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Israeli women have been militarily trained, so they could have, <laughs> if I would have been creepy, I'm sure they could have snapped my neck. But it was just, it was just crazy. I just left myself to chance. Even when I sort of wimped out and stopped hiking and started hitchhiking, the adventure continued. Yeah. They were actually going in the opposite direction of Jerusalem. They're going windsurfing on the Sea of Galilee. So I ended up all the way where I started, like windsurfing in a very amateurish way. And then we hopped in and they drove me back to Tel Aviv. It was just a fun day because simply, my plan was, was to walk Jesus style from Capernaum to Jerusalem. Hmm. I, I sort of failed on that adventure, but had an interesting time anyway. I don't know if I'd see that as a, as a failure. That's part of the, the adventure, right? Is I'm going to, I'm going to set out on this. This is kind of the goal, but the goal itself is, is kind of a gimmick in the, in that it gets you there, it gets you out. And then, you know, you, as you, as you said, often let the trip happen to you, the trip happened to you. You had this incredible story of, of, of wind sailing in the Galilee <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we've talked a little bit about your book. You mentioned your book, Marco Polo Didn't Go. It's one of my favorite books that you've that you've written because it is it's very much your stories. And what I love about it is you, you have a little bit of a kind of a self-deprecating humor. You make fun of yourself a little bit. Uh, you tell the story of how you were drugged in Turkey, I think it was, mm -hmm. right? And and then you and one of my favorite stories is the storming of the beach, which I know mm -hmm. you've. Uh, you've written elsewhere as well, but uh, the, the storming the beach in particular, because there's just so many layers to that, right? You were the, this is the set of the movie The Beach by Leonardo DiCaprio, which, mm -hmm. by the way, I love that movie. Okay, I love the first forty minutes of the movie. Maybe right. Uh, uh, there's some it, great it nuggets of knowledge. Dark. It does get dark a little, yeah. but there's especially at the beginning when he's traveling and he gets to Thailand and you know and he sees these people kind of playing game boy i think at the time right mm -hmm. and and uh, watching movies and he has this great quote about how uh, look we all travel thousands of miles to do the exact same thing we do at home and it was, it's this has got lo lots of little nuggets there anyway but so you stormed this beat and and we've talked before where you've said that he was very protected mm. in the set right like mm. nobody could touch him he was kind of nervous i guess being there leonardo DiCaprio, that mm -hmm. is which is interesting because that's like opposite of his character. But so you decide to storm this beach. Which at, is basically sneaking into the movie set. That's yeah, a fancy but, way of saying I was going to sneak into the movie set. Right. But why? <laughs> well, I, I, it, was, it was almost as a thought experiment. That's the best thing I can say that I, I sort of felt like there were certain. Well, I felt that idea that, that the beaten path is already beaten. And what can I do that's different? You know, that it's cool to go to this temple and, and to, to go to this, uh, you know, trekking expedition in Northern Thailand. But what is, what is different? How can I get off the beaten path? So I decided to ironically do something different by going to the one place everybody was looking <laughs> at. Like the, the media, DiCaprio just come off of Titanic, which is huge. He was the biggest star in the world. And so everybody was focused on Kopp, where they were shooting the movie, which was quite, it was it was the most beaten path at the time because everybody was paying attention to it. And I thought, what would happen if you snuck on, you snuck into a place where you weren't given permission to go? And I won't give too much away, but it didn't always play out as planned. Just like walking to Jerusalem didn't quite work out as planned. But that allowed me through this thought experiment to think about questions. Well, why do we want to go to places that other tourists don't want to go? What does it serve us, and how does that kind of mimic tourist patterns anyway. Um, because one irony of the novel, The Beach, that the movie's based on is that they sort of create this air quotes paradise, but 
part of the paradise is that there's like, there's no local people there. Like it's sort of this fake, um, you know, constructed idea of paradise. It has nothing to do with Thailand itself. And so people forget that time. The beach was sort of a satire of backpacker culture, even more than it celebrated backpacker culture. Mm -hmm. And it raised some hard questions. And so I wanted to tweak with those questions and sort of think, well, what are we seeking when we're seeking the non-beaten path. And to this day, people love that story. Bill Bryson chose it for best American travel writing in 2000, gosh, 23 years ago. (laughs) But to this day, people are tickled by that in part because it has a celebrity in it, but also because I did something goofy and weird and decided to try and philosophically make sense of it on the page. Yeah. Well, that's my sense with a lot of your stories is like you set out on this, on this plan that, that doesn't really have a good reason necessarily. Like it's just, it's more of, I want to see if this is possible and I want to see what happens. And, 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 and a lot of ways, similar ways, I think I, I have also tried kind of similar types of, of adventures where you arrive somewhere and then you see what happens. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's a beautiful way to get off the beaten path. Uh, again, we, we're, we're talking a lot about the beaten path. The beaten path is beaten for a reason. You should visit these places, but uh, there's so much out there that's that's going to be beautiful and amazing that's off this beaten path. And, and here are some ways that you can do it. That's a great refrain. I, I'm not the originator of this, but let's go see is a good mantra to have as a traveler. Not just a quest or a mission or a pilgrimage, but let's go see. Certainly something interesting will happen if I storm the beach of the movie or or take a boat down the Mekong or just walk into a neighborhood that I'm not familiar with and is not in the guidebooks and is not on Instagram. Let's go see is a great refrain to um, to remember as a traveler. Right, and it can be a little terrifying to some people. Some people are, they need a little bit more structure. Where are we going? Where are we staying? Uh, so depending on your level of flexibility and willingness to kind of go with the flow, now you're gonna have different, different sets of expectations and adventures that are, yeah. They're different. Yeah, yeah. The let's go see will, depending on whose lens it's being watched through, the let's go see will affect people in different ways. That's part of the fun of the let's go see experiment. Well, Marco Polo didn't go there again. Great book. That's my recommendation for this, for this session. Do you have a book that you recommend for those, those seeking off the beaten path types of experiences? Well, what popped in my head was uh, William Finnegan's Barbarian Days. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's a surfing memoir, actually. But it's also a travel book because to, to find good surf, you have to go to places where there is good surf. And so he was able to get off the beaten path just through his unadulterated love of surfing. And it's such an adventurous travel book without even trying to be an adventurous off the beaten path traveler. He's just trying to find the best waves in the world. This is back in the 70s and 80s. It's a memoir. And it's such a delightful and smart book that shows how rewarding being off the beaten path can be if you just find something you love and you follow it. It doesn't have to be surfing. It can be something else. It can be cooking or another sport or another hobby. But he did such a great job. Again, the book is Barbarian Days of using surfing as a lens towards discovering all sorts of awesome things that had nothing to do with surfing. That's awesome. That's a great, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Should we spin the globe? Let's spin the globe. Let's spin the globe. Here we go. I'm going to do Southern Hemisphere, maybe. Oh my gosh, I got Australia. All right. Tell me yeah. about Australia. One, Australians are great travelers because Australia is close to nothing <laughs> except maybe Indonesia. And so the gap year, the idea that you're going to take a year off instead of a week off to travel, 
if you're Australian, you almost have to do it because you can't fly to Colombia or Cancun or to Toronto and be in another country. You have to go pretty far to get to a place. And so like half the bartenders in London are Australians who are just there. They're happy to get a subpar wage because this is their adventure. This is their adventure. So Australians are great travelers. Um, and so I can't think about Australia the place without thinking of the Australians I've met in places that are not Australia. Um, and I landed on the West Coast, which is Perth. I haven't been to the West Coast. The Aust Australia is as big as the continental United States. And so you can travel for days and barely make a line on this globe. Um, I, I've been to, actually, uh, I will talk about Tasmania, though, because it's a little uh, island off the southern tip that is so much different. It's more, it feels like it in times where it could be a part of New Zealand. Okay. But it's just a great place to go hiking. There's good food there. Um, it's sort of like the hick state if you brant tasmania is like talking about some i don't want to insult the state but maybe alabama or mississippi <laughs> or something it's sort of seen as this unrefined nether region but as far as if you want to go hiking enjoy the wilderness enjoy those activities or even go to a place with good food hobart the city there is terrific so australia is a place you could literally spend five years traveling and do nothing twice because it's so big and so much is going on yeah i have not been to australia uh i there's a trip being planned right now for 2024 that gets me to New Zealand. That's as close as I'm going to get. But I'll second what you said about the Australian travelers. I have also encountered them and they do. They travel for two, three years and, the, and their plans are, I'm going to go and spend six months in this place and, and settle down, make some money and then keep traveling. And uh, I ran into some when I was uh, traveling in Peru and Ecuador and same thing. They were just traveling the coast of, of um, Latin America uh, the, they were surfers and so they, mm. they were looking for, uh, for good waves, but yeah, uh, I look forward to, to visiting someday. And as always, we should travel you should see the world. You should be careful most of the time. This video podcast is a production of George Fox digital to find more material like this. You can subscribe to George Fox talks on YouTube, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.